sub north side. Okay, there's one rule this morning. It's the quieter you are, the longer I'll talk, okay? This could go 30 minutes or three hours. That's up to you. I'm giving you a do-over on the welcome me up thing, okay? So Kyle just said, hey, here's Matt. What's up, guys? You guys doing okay? There we go. There we go. Okay, 30-minute version. As Kyle said, I used to work here as a youth pastor. It was 2007 when I started here. That means I got many of your children through their emo phase, so you're welcome for that, okay? We, we were then called, my family and I, from serving God at this beautiful church to another church in Southern California called Momentum. I'm still with them now. They're about to worship. we got time zones, so about an hour from now, they're going to start worshiping. They are alive and well, I miss them today, but to help us get reacquainted, I'll show you some photos, okay? This was me and my crew when we left town in 2013. My wife, Brittany, our oldest, Lucy. This is us these days, and there are more of us now, as you can see, not because we planned it that way, but because Britt can't keep her hands off of me. So you guys could pray for me. It's rough out there, I'm tired, and so, <laughs> so. Uh, we get to study the Bible together today, and I'm thrilled about that. Before we go, I'll tell you something personal to me, why this congregation is just so special to me. In the year 2006, my phone rang, and on the other end was George Ross asking me if I would come serve this church as a part of the youth team. And I remember a couple things about that call. I remember being super nervous and terrified and trying to sound professional and all that stuff. And, and I remember being thrilled about the opportunity to come and serve this place. And there were two reasons for that, two big reasons. And it wasn't because George is a living legend, which he is, by the way. It wasn't because Nate is a dear friend, which he is as well. It was because this church had a reputation for two things. The first thing I had heard that people said over and over and over again is that this is the biggest small church you've ever been a part of. And I came to find out in my time here what they meant when they said that was that although this church is large in number, when you connect here, you aren't connecting to some services you attend. You are connecting to a spiritual family who will pray for you, who will fight for you, and who will be there for you in your time of need. Northside, I hope that hasn't changed. The second thing I had heard about this place was that this is a church that cares deeply about people who are far from God. In other words, this is a church that will gladly leave the 99 to go and rescue the one. This is a church that takes our call to shine the light of Jesus outside these walls. When I heard that, I said, sign me up. Northside, I hope that hasn't changed either. That's what we're talking about today in our Bible study, Quest 52. This week, we're talking about Christian influences, being influencers for Christ. How do we live lives that help other people People find the way, their way back to the loving embrace of their heavenly father. We're going to tear through the scriptures today. I'm going to be in John 3. So if you have a Bible in front of you and you want to go there, if you got a phone and you like flipping there, if you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up, go ahead, fact check me. If you are a Bible highlighter or a note taker, you are my people. I encourage that. I will also tell you, if you're new to this whole thing and you see you're something that's helpful to you, you 
can also pull out your phone and just screenshot what you see up there. That is an acceptable form of note-taking in Jesus' name, okay? So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna study the Bible together and we're gonna see if God can use it. So let's get our hearts and minds focused on him. Let's pray together. God and Father, we just need you right now. Nobody in this room needs words from me. We need to hear from you. I pray your Holy Spirit would come and meet with each of us in personal and profound ways. Jesus, we lay down all of our problems, all of our baggage, all of our fears, all of our inadequacies, and together as your church, we say, would you use us to shine your light in our day? In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3, verse 22 begins like this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Now, note takers, underliners, highlighters, circlers, here's what I would do in my Bible. I'm going after this and I'm putting an arrow pointing up to the this and the after this. Now, I know you guys are devoted scholars. So when you see John say after this, you instantly knew that he's talking about Jesus's late night meeting with Nicodemus. And I know that you guys are devoted students of the word and you have your Quest 52 books and by now you've got them memorized and you sleep with them under your pillow because you just love God's word so much. But in case you need a little update or something like that or you're a few chapters behind, I'll tell you what you missed. Dr. Mark Moore in our chapter of Quest 52 would share with us that Nicodemus never quite got it. He never laid hold of what it means to be an influencer for Christ. He never got what it means to truly shine the light of Jesus. Why is that? As Dr. Moore points out, he was always willing to give Jesus his hands, but never his heart. And he therefore undercut his influence in the world around him. Today, we're going to be contrasting his influence with John the Baptist, who's one of our main characters today. And then next week, we're going to contrast that with the woman at the well of John 4, both of whom lay hold of what it means to shine the light of Jesus in the world around them. We're going to learn from them and continue as we go. So John opens up, he's giving us context. He says, after the late night meeting with Nicodemus, but before John was arrested and later killed for his faith in Jesus, right in there, hope was beginning to spread. Crowds are responding to John the Baptist's preaching. Jesus is baptizing. People are coming from all over to see what God is doing. Our text goes on, verse 25. It says, as that's happening, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who's with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. This debate breaks out, this 
argument breaks out. And scholars have different theories about what they were arguing about. Some think they wondered if Jesus' baptism was actually valid because he hadn't been baptized himself. Some were trying to discredit Jesus with different religious facts and trying to discredit his ministry and where he came from. Some just think they were jealous and they're upset that this crowd is moving over from John to Jesus, from the Pharisees and religious authorities to this new rabbi named Jesus. We don't know. But let me tell you something. Here's what we do know. Note takers, here's your first one. Jesus came to win people, not arguments. Jesus came to win people, not arguments. When I started in ministry as a young pastor, I used to think when we got to this topic of evangelism and shining our light for Christ and going out into the world and helping people find Jesus, I used to think uh, the main obstacle or hindrance to our evangelism was our lack of courage. And I thought it was my job to come to a church and, and impart courage to you through the scriptures and go, come on guys, this is who we are. This is what we're called to do. We've got to go get them because the world needs us as I've gone on in ministry, I've come to find out our greatest hindrance to evangelism is not a lack of courage. As a matter of fact, I find most Jesus followers and most church people have more than enough courage. Some of you have stared down terrifying life events with great courage. Some of you have stared down anxiety and depression with great courage. Some of you have walked through the loss of loved ones or little ones or miscarriages with great courage. Some of you have overcome abuse or addiction issues with great courage. I've come to find out in my time as a pastor, the greatest hindrance to our evangelism is not our lack of courage, but rather our lack of focus. Too often, we become entangled in speculations and arguments that simply don't matter. Uh, I'll illustrate by sharing with you about a podcast that you may have heard of. Not too long ago, a podcast came out and it was all about this pastor who had made a mess of his church in the Pacific Northwest. And oh man, people love the podcast. It, I mean, they did a great job of editing it and producing it. And people started going, did you hear the podcast? And oh my gosh, can you believe what that pastor said and did? And oh my gosh, thank goodness for the podcast. And oh my God, and they would clip these scenes of the pastor saying something and then it would seamlessly flow over to people from the church saying what they experienced. And you should have seen our brothers and sisters obsess over the podcast. I would have done this and they should have never let that happen and they don't understand the heart of our podcast and thank goodness for the podcast. And I'm like, my goodness. I don't care about your podcast. I care about the fact that this is a dark world and it needs light. And I don't want to be overly idealistic, but I just picture this scene unfolding. In John chapter 3, I sit on a distant hillside and I look down at this pool. I see this big crowd and over here I see Jesus with light in his eyes and a smile on his face. 
as he baptizes lost sons and daughters into the arms of their heavenly father. And I look over to the other side of the pool with these self-appointed critics and I can't help but wonder which side of the pool our podcasters would have been on that day. I'm gonna tell you guys something pretty challenging. And I don't even know I'd say this if I didn't have a flight book to get me out of here in just a couple minutes. About 18 months ago, I had to remind my church. And I wanna remind you. Uh, About 18 months ago, in the wake of COVID and all the unrest, the social issues we faced, the political scene, brothers and sisters in my church had lost their way. And the noise of all the cultural mess had gotten so loud, they had traded in their allegiance to Jesus for allegiance to either the elephant or the donkey. And I had to remind them, and I want to remind you, our hope is not in the elephant or the donkey. Our hope is in the lamb that was slain. Jesus came to win people, not arguments. Our hope is not in Washington, D.C. You cannot legislate sinful hearts into obedient ones. Our problem is sin. Sinners need a savior. His name is Jesus. And he'll be lifting lives and saving souls long after your party of choice is long gone. He's our hope. Yeah. He's our hope. He came to win lives, not arguments. Verse 27, all these disciples come to John and they're nervous. There's this debate going on. They say, hey, Jesus is baptizing more than us. What should we do about this? Is this okay? And John's answer becomes just so beautiful and so powerful for us this morning. Verse 27, it says, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Now, don't get nervous as we study this scripture. If it sounds like John the Baptist is getting a little cryptic in his rhetoric here, he's just speaking rabbi talk. And when he says these words, a person can only receive what's given to them from heaven, what he is saying is that every single one of us has been given a part to play in God's plan to love the world back to himself. Every single one of us. Some of you fix cars. Some of you teach children. Some of you run households, some of you run companies, all of you have been given a part to play in God's plan to love the world back to himself, okay? And quickly, because I don't have a lot of time here, uh, let's sit on this. I, I Don't ever buy the lie that says shining the light of Jesus is just for pastors and people who stand on stage 
at churches. It is a lie from the pit of hell and it has to go away. As a matter of fact, there are people you could reach with the light and love of Christ who would never listen to a guy like me. Don't ever buy that lie. My good friend, Alan Butts, who has apparently become a coffee mogul in the 10 years that I have been gone, was a youth leader at our high school ministry. And he used to tell me this over and over and over. He would say, Matt, there is nothing more powerful than a satisfied customer. And he would say, Matt, if I go stand out in front of Coffee Crossing and I say, man, oh man, woo, you guys tried the coffee in there? That stuff sure is good. Holy moly, that's the best coffee I ever had. He goes, people are going to take one look at me and say, yeah, right, buddy. You own the place. You work here. You have to say that. And no one will believe me. He said, but Matt, when a friend goes to a friend and says, man, you got to try the coffee here. That's powerful. Uh, Look at me, Northside, don't miss this. Look at me. Loud worker, satisfied customer. Don't ever buy the lie that your influence doesn't matter. The scripture continues. John says in verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. Now, John is just preaching here. This is a great sermon illustration. Everybody in this day would have known what he's talking about. He's talking about weddings and he's saying, hey, listen, there is a difference in the best man and the groom. John is saying, hey, we need some role clarity here. John is saying, I'm the best man. He's the groom. He's the main attraction. I'm the helper. I can help him. I can point to him, but make no mistake about it. There's no hope in me. There is only hope found in Jesus. He's talking role clarity. You guys, I've done so many of these weddings for these kids now. I could have a side hustle, okay? Not not like pastoring weddings. I want a side hustle, not videography, not photography. I could have a side hustle training best men and maids of honor. Best men, maids of honor. I've got this thing down. It's role clarity. And it's real simple. The best man, you got three jobs, buddy. You're the best man. You have three jobs. Make sure the groom looks good. Make sure he smells good. And make sure the boy makes it to his wedding on time. It'll all be okay. Maid of honor, three jobs. Three jobs, that's it. Make sure the bride is ready. Hold her flowers when she gets to the end of the aisle. And listen to, okay, future maids of honor, please look at me. Third one's most important, okay? When you give your speech at the reception, it's not about you. It's just not. I've been to too many of these things and sweetie gets up there and she's got the mic and she's sitting there and it's always, when we were six, we had our Barbies and we dreamed about husbands and one day we knew that we were best friends and we'd both get married and you'd have a new best friend. Didn't see that one coming. She's gonna have a new best friend. Okay, gotcha. And then we did this and we did that and then you found Charles. (laughs) And I guess you'll have to settle for Charles. But Charles will never have what we had. 
And Charles, and poor Charles is sitting there like, geez, man, like he's just stuck listening to you say, why well, you're better for her than him. And it's like, no, it's not about you. You need role clarity. That's what John is saying. John, note number two, John the Baptist on influence. We must remember whose role is whose. When it comes to transforming lives in Jesus' name, we must remember whose role is whose. I think we've lost our way. And I'll prove it to you by using a cuss word in church. Don't worry, it's a Christian cuss word. And it's not frick. It's not gosh darn it. It's not even dagnabbit. Oh, the new word that we shun in church is evangelism. Oh, don't dare go telling people that there's a better life available to them in Christ. Oh, don't you dare send me to work and say to me that I actually have a work to do that's greater than my job as I serve Jesus in my workplace. Pastor Rick Warren said it so clearly when he said it like this, Satan has done such a great job tarnishing the idea of evangelism that not only do unbelievers shun the idea, but now most Christians think the concept is outdated and narrow-minded. And he's kind of right. Because if I said today, hey, everyone, Northside, this is going to be wild. This is crazy. This week on this Sunday, I'm going to teach on evangelism. But next Sunday, instead of worshiping, instead of a message, we're going to meet here. And then we're all going to go do evangelism. A big Christian yuck would just swell up in the room. You would not be here. And I get that. Because I say evangelism, and some of you imagine that guy with the megaphone outside the concert yelling at everyone and asking them if they know where they would go if they died tonight. Some of you think in very real terms about the way you tried that before. And you had the conversations, and you prayed for the person, and you longed to see them know Jesus, and the story ended in disappointment. Some of you think I'm going to say evangelism and then I'm going to send you to your office to try and corner people and bring some conversation that has nothing to do with Jesus into a Jesus conversation. And you're supposed to go in there and, and they're like, hey, John, did you get the numbers for this quarter? And you're like, well, no, but you know whose numbers will never disappoint you? Jesus Christ leaves the 99 to save the one. One death, three days in the tomb, one resurrection, and there is new hope, my friends. And then you can't wonder why no one wants to hang out with you on Fridays when everyone wants to leave work. There, can I tell you something? There is no issue with influence. There is no issue with evangelism. Matthew 28 is still true. The issue is role clarity. And we keep as believers tripping over our own feet because we've forgotten whose role is who. You guys, Jesus gave us our role in Matthew 5. 
If you're a note taker or, or a Bible outliner, right next to this passage, I would just write Matthew 5, 13 through 16. What does Jesus say there? He gives us our role in our identity. He says, you are the salt of the earth and light of the world. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Guys, this is simple. Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter, okay? Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. I think you get light. If you're in a dark room, you put on the lights, the room gets brighter. Salt, my friends, makes things better. I was so happy when I got back to this town and I saw across the street from this church, Puerto Vallarta is still open. <laughs> At some point while I'm here, I intend to eat my body weight in chips and salsa, right? And there is something special when you're hungry after church and you go rolling in there starving, huge diet Coke on the table. And then the guy with that warm basket of chips sets them down in front of you and the oil is still bubbling. Can I tell you something? In my family, we have a protocol and I've trained all three of the children. Britt knows this. When those chips land, as soon as you can, while the oil is still hot and sticky, you get the salt shaker who's ever closest to it and you cover those bad boys in salt. Why? Because salt makes things better. Better. My friends, nowhere in the Bible does it say we're supposed to corner people and force life change with our awkward conversations. Our job is to make lives better and brighter and then point to Jesus. Better and brighter and point to Jesus. Your role, my role, the church's role is to simply find ways to make people's lives better and brighter and then point to Jesus. And I just believe wholeheartedly if we together had the guts to take Jesus at his word and you're willing to go to where God's put you and hold down that space, making it better and brighter in Jesus' name and I'm willing to go hold down my space and make it better and brighter in Jesus' name and together when the good Lord gives us opportunities, we just point to his son I believe right now, if this room took that seriously, two weeks from now on Easter, we would see unimaginable miracles happen in Jesus' name. Jesus follower, you've been given a part to play. I'll finish with one more part of the passage, one more point, and one more story. John the Baptist continues, and he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens to him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Now listen to these words, 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who comes from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from, a, from heaven is above all. John's saying, there's no hope in me. There's hope in him. I can't change a broken life, but he can. I'm not full of light and life, but he is. There needs to be more of him and less of me because he is our ultimate hope. John the Baptist on influence, last note of the morning. We must maintain conviction 
that Jesus is our ultimate hope. Do you believe that? He's what the world is dying for. Whether they know it or not. John said he is above all. He's above all podcasts, above all books. He's above the mindfulness movement. He's above any affirmation you can say to yourself. He's above 12 step programs. And I'll say it again, he is above any piece of legislation that can get passed for better or for worse. Jesus is our ultimate hope. June 10th, 2013 was my last service here as a staff member of Northside Christian Church. And in our high school worship service, right before the closing song played, we baptized a young lady. Not just any young lady, a young lady who had just went through a very public teen pregnancy. And she faced all of the whispers and rumors and scowls that come along with being a very public teen pregnancy. But there was a group of young women in our high school ministry that believed Jesus was this young expectant mother's only hope. So they didn't join in with the rumors, the whispers, and the scowls. They just conspired together for ways they could make her life better and brighter and point her to Jesus. So they hosted baby showers and pointed to Jesus. They included her and pointed to Jesus. They babysat and pointed to Jesus. And on June 10th, 2013, she gave her life to Jesus. Here's the best part of the story. She now works as a staff member at this church, helping people find, yeah. Helping people find the hope that found her when she needed it the most. You guys, I can't make this up. She's baptizing someone else after this service. Let's go, God. You know what that tells me? It tells me you have no idea You have no idea what could happen when you choose to play your part. You have no idea about the life you could be saving and the life that that life could touch. You have no idea 
about the marriage you could be rescuing, the fatherlessness you could be preventing, the addiction that you could set someone free from if you're willing to believe Jesus is our ultimate hope. I'm gonna wrap and we're gonna do something different. I'm gonna say a prayer with you and then I have two important things to tell you right after that prayer and then we're out of here. So go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. This closing prayer will be just a little different. Right now where you are, I, wanna, I want you to think of somebody who's close to you but far from God. Somebody you, you really, really hope finds Jesus. And, and I'm gonna pray for them right now. Let's, let's pray. God and Father, there is no one like you. Together, as your church, we are crying out, may King Jesus be known. Holy Spirit, we're praying even right now as we have these people in our hearts and in our minds that you would go to work winning them into the loving embrace of their heavenly Father. We ask for you to move miraculously through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, two things and we're out. As you go out today, there are these Easter invite cards. Statistics show us that 80% of people will say yes to an Easter invite if it comes from a friend. You know how we take all of this emotional, powerful talk about Jesus and make it real? You grab one of these and you pray for the opportunity to give it to somebody you wanna to bring to Easter with you. They're right outside. Last thing, secondly, if you're here today and you're going, man, all this hope in Jesus sounds cool, but before I can offer it to somebody, I think I'm the one who needs help. Well, I wanna tell you today could be the day that everything changes. All you have to do is remain seated. And we have a team of people who would love to come pray with you and pray for you. That being said, I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.